I cannot think of, of a greater atmosphere to bring the man of God to this pulpit. It is really a delight to have brother and sister McKee here from Katy, Texas. These are busy people. These are leaders in their own right. And we are absolutely delighted that they, were, that they are here. Brother McKee, we want you to come. Just follow the Holy Ghost. We're going to follow you as God leads you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Pastor. Amen. Why don't we give all of that glory and that honor to the Lord, the only one that deserves it. Isn't God good? Come on, right now, where you're standing, forget about everyone around you and give all the praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Mayo. What a tremendous treat it is to be here today. If I haven't met you yet, my name is uh, Sheriff McKee's husband, and I'm glad to uh, be here with you today. It's such an honor, and I'm, I'm looking forward to connecting with each of you. Man, what a beautiful place. Uh, I told him uh, yesterday I'm a bit jealous. We're on the other side of our construction, and uh, I'm just, I have a godly jealousy. I mean, it's not sin, but it's right up there close to it, but I'm, I'm thankful for what God has done for this local assembly. And uh, you are so, so blessed. I hope you know you're blessed. Sometimes things can become so obvious that we miss it all together. Amen. I uh, heard a story of a woman who came in, threw the car keys down in front of her husband and said, the car won't start. And uh, she, he said, well, what do you think's wrong? She said, there's water in the carburetor. And, and he said, you wouldn't know the carburetor from the transmission. He said, give me the keys. Where's the car? She said, it's out in the swimming pool. Some, some things in life are obvious. Amen. And uh, I, I, love, I love being in this kind of atmosphere, but I hope everybody here knows how blessed you are. God could have put you in any church. He could have, I mean, he could have found, there's plenty of lighthouses out there. Just gospel, sort of almost a way station where you can go and you can hear the truth. But God put you in a special place where it's not just preaching the gospel. This is a house of excellence, a house of revival, a house of growth. And every day you live, you ought to be thankful for what God has done. Amen. This, this is not normal. I'm, I'm a, unfortunately, Pastor, this is not normal. Atmospheres like this are not normal. And, uh, but I, I'm thankful that uh, I'm here today with all of you. And I, I just love what I feel, love the worship. And uh, thank God for a pastor that, that runs the aisles. Amen. Amen. Might do us all good to run the aisles. I, I could jump off the platform like him. I might not get back up on it. But uh, they say, you know, you're never, they're never too old to get in shape. When my grandmother turned 85 years old, she started walking five miles a day. We haven't seen her in six years. No telling where she is by now. But, uh, hey, man, sorry, this is what you get. I'm, this is me. Um, you may be seated. I'm just going to relax here for a little bit. Just, just be me. 
I, uh, I traveled as an evangelist for 10 years, but I've been a pastor now for 22. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm just going to do what I do. If it's all right, I, I know you've already heard her sing, but it just makes me feel a lot better and a lot more comfortable to have my wife come and sing right before I preach. Is that all right? So I thank God for my, my, my beautiful wife. Um, I don't have another ugly one. I just have one. I thank God for my wife. Um, it's the only one I've ever had. And uh, 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 tomorrow will uh, mark 24 years of marriage with this beautiful lady. Amen. She, uh, she, was my, she was my high school sweetheart. Well, I was in high school. She was, uh, she was my sweetheart, but she was much younger. But uh, I waited till she grew up before I dated her. So don't worry, it's all good. And uh, but I am uh, so honored that she is here with me uh, this this evening. I don't know; it's kind of middle of the day, so if it's e morning or evening, you're just going to have to just uh, excuse me. But I want her to come and uh, and just minister in song, if she would. And I thank God for a beautiful wife. Come on. All right. Well, I was waiting for you to get done, brother. My handsome husband of 24 years. Wow. Uh, God is good. I feel such a kindred spirit with you all. I love the, the liberty and worship that you, that you have here. I hope that you will cherish it. I congratulate you on your beautiful building. Um, it's just even just... You know, I know we've changed gears a little bit, but that presence of the Lord, that virtue that you spoke of is still in this room. It's just hovering, it's saturating every particle of air that's here. This is the Lord's house. And I believe that he is worthy of all of our praise, no matter our circumstance. And like he was saying earlier, sometimes it's easier to praise the Lord. And, but sometimes, even whenever we're going through things, though it's difficult to praise the Lord, it's easier to feel him because he's attracted to the broken. He's attracted to the contrite spirit, to the humble. And sometimes when we go through things, many times it is the devil and sometimes it's our own foolishness, but sometimes the Lord will send us through some situations so that we can know him as a peace speaker. We can know him. We go, we hit rock bottom so we can find out that he's the rock on the bottom. <laughs> You know, and some mountains we want to cast into the sea and they don't move. And God says, no, ma'am, no, sir. That one's for climbing. Put on your climbing shoes. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to give you perspective. It's going to teach you. So if it gets weary and the climb gets tough, don't give up halfway through because it won't last forever. And he's with you. If you will just hold on to him, he will hold on to you. So whatever you're going through this morning, the presence of the Lord that's in this room that I feel right now, I just want to sing and speak a word of encouragement to you to hold on to the right things. Let go of the fear. Let go of the anxiety. Hold on to prayer. Hold on to your faithfulness to God. Hold on to the word of God. And you'll see that this is working for your good. The, the sky will part. The clouds will dissipate. And you'll realize, hey, the sun was up there all the time because he's faithful. And I just thank you for the invitation, for being here, the beautiful choir, the musicians, the mayos, you guys, top-notch quality people that I, I value and honor and respect your leadership. And when I grow up, I wanna be just like you, <laughs> Sister Mayo. So if I ever grow up, that's very iffy. <laughs> so go ahead and roll the track and I will sing with what voice is left.
You ask me how it is that I'm still standing. You wonder how I made it through the storm. I can't boast of any special power. There's no secret. I just held on. And I held on till the storm was over. I'll claim to be a hero. And I don't have all Tell that things they're finally happening. I'm healing now, and I've got blessings. Thank God I can call my own. But there were so many times I wondered I would make it. But I was wondering, I just kept on.
you're good, not because you're great. Just let him be strong. Hold on, joy is coming in the morning. Hold on, hallelujah, hallelujah. Why don't we all stand to our feet? Lift your hands to the Lord right now and just tell him, God, I'm determined. No matter what, God, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. My mind is made up. I'm determined. I'm going to make it. In my entire journey, I'm going to give God the praise that he's worthy of. A song that the praise team was singing earlier and the choir was singing earlier about not allowing the rocks to cry out. It comes from Luke, I believe, uh, 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 1940. uh, But in that text, there were critics of those that cried out and worshiping the Lord. And he turns to them and says, if these hold their peace, then the rocks would cry out. I don't want to mess up any, any theology, and I'm not, I'm not trying to. I think it, that sometimes we miss the power of that statement. Many of the commentaries say that that wasn't necessarily saying that the inanimate objects laying on the ground would open up some metaphorical mouth and just begin to sing praises to God. But it was actually a reference to judgment that they would say that if you don't praise God after all that God has done for you, then you don't even deserve to be here. That the rocks, a form of of, of capital punishment, ought to be thrown at you after all that God has blessed you with. He's worthy of all the praise. That's how I feel today. Hallelujah. God has been so good to me. God, forgive us if we don't praise you like you're worthy. Hallelujah. God, forgive us for not giving you the glory that you're worthy of. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, our Lord, David wrote. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. He said, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars that thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over all the works of thy hands. I was put all things under his feet, the sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. My heart is filled today. I, I don't know why God took a chance on me. I don't know why God saved somebody like me. I'm the last person that needs to be here, but I guarantee one thing. Every service, every chance I get, I I'm going to let the Lord know I'm thankful. I'm so thankful that you let me in this house. I'm thankful that you let me into this glorious truth. Is that the way you feel right now? Come on, just give him the praise. Hallelujah. We don't deserve this. We're not entitled to this. It's the goodness of God. The blessings of the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful for the goodness of God. Amen. I've got to hurry and get in to this and uh
If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to uh, the Old Testament book of Judges. Amen. Often in, uh, in all of our study, it's, it's helpful to remember that the Old Testament paints a picture through signs and types and shadows of what the New Testament would reveal with clarity. And um, I like to think of it as a, as a, a, a camera lens. Everything begins very blurry. And as, as you turn the lens and the aperture begins to, to close, it, it, it brings things into focus. And that's what you see throughout the Old Testament, this slow, gradual, methodical revelation of truth, line upon line and precept upon precept. And so I want to take an example from the Old Testament, and then I want to read a short two verses from the New Testament, 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. The purpose of the Old Testament text is to sort of... um, illustrate what I feel the New Testament is, is speaking. And uh, don't worry, I'm not going to hold you very long. I promise I'm not going to preach very long. Amen. I, I just, uh, uh, it's, it's an unusual time frame, but I've, I've told the pastor already, t- on a typical Sunday, I preach three times. We have an 8 o'clock service. We have a 9 o'clock minister's meeting that I speak. It's only a 30-minute meeting, but then we have another service at 10 o'clock, and then we come back and we have a 6 o'clock service. So this is like a day off from me. So you're going to get four sermons here. (laughs) I'm I'm picking. I'm not going to preach that long. I heard a story. This is a curse. I got to tell it. Uh, I I can't pass up a joke. There was a a gentleman, an elderly gentleman that was elected as as a pastor of a small country church. And he got up on Sunday morning. Here's why he was elected. He got up on Sunday morning and he preached 20 minutes. And sat down, called, gave the altar call. That Sunday night, he preached only 15 minutes. And the church had been looking for a pastor for a while. They said, we want to hold an election tonight. This is the guy for us. And so they elected him. The first Sunday, as pastor, he got up and he preached an hour and 45 minutes. That night, he came back and, and preached almost two hours. And the church had an emergency meeting. They said, they, we feel like you've deceived us somehow. And, and of course, the minister, he said, I, I, I need to apologize to all of you. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, um, it's, it's really, it's not my fault. He said, really, this morning I woke, when I woke up, I accidentally put my wife's teeth in my mouth. And when I got to the pulpit, I couldn't quit talking. So... Well, I just lost half the church. I'm sorry about that. I, all the men thought it was funny. The, the, uh, Judges chapter 11, verse number 1. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. Verse 2. And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up. And they thrust out Jephthah and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. I'm going to tell the story a bit, but I just wanted to read this portion of his of his story. We know from Jephthah, oftentimes 
we've heard sermons preached about Jephthah vowing a vow and all of that, but I want to focus on the earlier portion of his story, and um, uh, we'll get into it in just a moment. But in uh, 2 Timothy 2 and 25, Paul is speaking to his son in the gospel, talking about ministry, and he's actually instructing him on what the servant of the Lord or the minister or the leader within uh within the church ought to do. And he said, the servant of the Lord must, in meekness, verse 25, instructing those that oppose themselves. I thought that was an interesting phrase. They oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, verse 26, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Notice, they've got to recover themselves. This is not something pastor can do for you. If I could just just say it real plain, this is not even something that God needs to do for you. You need to do it for yourself. God's provided a plan, a way, a path, a method. But ultimately, it's up to you to engage what God has provided. And you just need to recover yourself. Look at somebody next to you and tell them you got to recover yourself. Amen. I, I want to just, if you need a title, we'll just call this jailbreak today. And uh, lay your Bibles down and let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. God, thank you for this privilege to stand here in this beautiful church with such powerful leadership. God, I thank you for what you're doing here in Spokane. I thank you, God, for the revival that's happening here and the testimony, God, of, of, of great things that are in the future. I believe that you're going to do marvelous things as we look forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Help me today to do a good job and do it quickly. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. If you're new to the truth, I, I don't want to just quickly go into the meat of the text. I always like to take time for those that are new to church. Perhaps attending uh, church is not something that's part of your personal culture, but I, I want to um, uh, just kind of set the stage for what we're doing here every Sunday. We are here to build the kingdom of God, and uh, you're in a great church, the um, the, the four, what we consider the four Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all the same story written from four unique viewpoints about the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are written and they occur concurrently, so they run chronologically parallel. But yet all four funnel into one book of the Bible that we call the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. And that is the story of the church. Now, uh, in the Gospel of John, which was the last Gospel written, uh, John 5 and I believe 39, Jesus um, uh, made the statement, he said, study the scriptures because they testify of me. He's not referring to the New Testament. He's talking about the entirety of the Old Testament, the, both the law and the prophets. He's saying, if you will go back and study Genesis all the way through Malachi, then you're going to see pictures of who I am and what I've done. Study the scriptures because all the scriptures are pointing towards me. Amen. 
Further, in John 10 and 10, he, he, first he points back, but in John 10, 10, he points to the future. And he says, I have come that ye might have life, or that they might have life, and they, they might have it more abundantly. So the purpose of the Bible, from the front cover all the way to Malachi, was written about Jesus. And Jesus said, I came for you. I've come that you might have life, that life that is abundant life, is the baptism of the Holy Ghost that comes through the obedience of the gospel. Amen. So the entire Bible from the front cover all the way to the maps was written for the soul-focused point of you receiving the glorious gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's, it's not just some archaic story of a foreign people. It's all about you. So if you're here today and you're hooked on drugs, you're hooked on everything but phonics, you got problems and you got issues and you came to get it all straightened out, you're in the right place. This is it. Amen. This is the place where deliverance happens. This is the place where your life can be transformed. How many would stand with me and testify that your life was transformed by the power of the gospel? Look around you. These are not perfect people. They're people with a testimony. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I, I, I would even go further and say that if you knew the, the, the testimony or who these people used to be, you might pull your purse a little closer. Amen. I'm thankful for all that God has done. Uh, but this glorious gospel that we always talk about is not simply informational. Uh, Paul wrote to the church of Romans said that uh, not all have obeyed the gospel. So the gospel is not something you just believe on or that you understand. You have to obey the gospel. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on a cross. You have to die at an altar. That's why we call this the altar area because it's where you come up and you die to your will, to your plan. That's how you obey the death of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus was buried in a tomb. Colossians and Romans say that we are buried with him in baptism. So if you're here today and you have never been baptized specifically in the name of Jesus Christ, then you need to be buried with Jesus, amen, as part of obeying the gospel. Perhaps you were baptized in the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. That's, that, that, that's commendable because you were doing everything you knew at the time. In Acts 19, the apostle Paul met some disciples of John, and they had been baptized in a description of Jesus. There's a lot of people that say, well, it just means the same thing. It's all, it's all about Jesus. It doesn't really matter. <clears throat> but they, they uh, when they met these disciples of John, he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said, we haven't heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said, well, how were you baptized? Now, if baptism doesn't matter, then the question is, is irrelevant. But it was so important, not only did he speak it, but it was recorded in the book of Acts, how you're baptized really does matter. It matters that you're baptized in the name of Jesus. They said we were baptized under John's baptism. He said when John baptized, he baptized unto repentance. And here's what he was saying. There's coming 
one after I. The latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to lose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. He was talking about Jesus, but he never mentioned the name Jesus. And so that's why Paul said you got a baptism in a description of Jesus, but it wasn't in the name of Jesus because the power, the authority is in his name. So if you've been baptized in the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you need to get rebaptized today, today in the name of Jesus. All power, all authority is in the name of Jesus. Nothing like the name of Jesus. It, it's not the same. It's not the same. Now, I, I always like to, to, all of you folks that are established in the truth, just be patient with me. I, I, I'm going to get back to you in a minute. But, but it's important that we always share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It does matter. And it's not the same. Well, it, it all seems the same. Listen, Father, Son, and Spirit doesn't identify anybody. I thought I'd get an amen on that. I said, Father, Son, and Spirit doesn't identify anybody. It doesn't. Amen. Satan is the father of all liars. He's the son of perdition. He's a spirit of error. I, I, I don't want to be baptized in the name of Lucifer. Amen. I want to make sure that I put the identification. When I'm baptized, I want everybody to know I'm being baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. Amen. And then... You can receive this glorious gift of the Holy Spirit, speaking in a language that you have never learned. How many would testify that the Holy Ghost is the best gift you ever got? Isn't it awesome? Amen. There is nothing like the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so at the conclusion of this message today, I want to challenge you. If you've never obeyed the gospel, I want to challenge you to come and, and, and just obey it. Repent. Be baptized and receive the glorious gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, back to my message. I, I, I love American history. I, I, I do. I always I love stories from American history. And, um, but, but today, I, I want to share something a little more recent uh, recent than, than ancient American history um, and, and, and sort of highlight this idea. It struck me recently that America is fascinated by stories of people breaking out of captivity. I don't, I don't know why it is because um, uh, it, there's just something about this idea of people who have either escaped from prison camps or from captivity of some sort. We want to hear their stories. How did you do it? How did you break the, 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 the shackles? And how did you break free from your, your captor? And um, it doesn't stop with righteous people. I mean, not even soldiers. We love even stories of people, criminals that break out of jail. I don't know why. I mean, these people are not good people. But uh, we're fascinated by their stories. And um, whether it's, you know, I guess probably the most famous of all jailbreaks was Alcatraz, Frank Morris, and the Anglin brothers who broke out. And for many years, they thought that they were, uh, they died. And then they started getting postcards from Brazil and discovered they not only made it out, but they survived. And, uh, but, you know, there, there are many other stories, uh, men such as... Um, uh, Ted Bundy, and who who climbed out of a of a courthouse window. Now, I, I don't endorse anything these men did. We don't endorse the behavior, but the stories of how they broke free have always fascinated me. Um, even uh, Charles Manson, 
he failed. He tried to escape from prison with a hot air balloon. It's not a real well-known story, but it's, uh, he failed in his attempt. Uh, John Dillinger, the gangster of the early uh, 20th century, 1920-something, uh, uh, he actually escaped from jail two different times. At one time, uh, it was by carving a gun, a fake gun, using that to escape from prison. He was a uh, notorious gangster from the uh, era of the Depression. But I want, I want to introduce you to a record holder of sorts. This gentleman, is, uh, his story fascinates me. And, and, and uh, he, he's, he's not a hardened criminal like some of the others that I mentioned. But his name is Brian Bo Larson. If you could put his picture up. Uh, not, uh, this is him as a young man and um, the same year that that uh, the church was started, 1994. And he was, um, uh, he is a record holder. He's a Danish man. He was originally arrested for armed robbery. Uh, he is the current record holder. Um, and in particular, of how many times he's broken out of prison. Now, no one is even close to him. Uh, the, the, the other uh, men that are number two, number three, number four, they've all escaped from prison for five times because let's face it uh, I mean how how dumb do you have to be if somebody breaks out of prison once or twice somebody's got to wake up and say hey this guy doesn't want to be here we need to do something and watch him better but um, uh, apparently no one actually learned their lesson or there's a better chance that he just became really good at it Brian Bolarson has escaped from jail an astonishing 22 times, 22 times he's escaped, not only from jail, but from prison. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, in 1995, um, he was out in the courtyard and a truck crashed through uh, the prison wall. It was a complete accident, unprepared, unplanned. A truck crashed through the wall and he saw an opening and ran out um, through the, the hole in the wall. He just he just walked out and disappeared. In 2004, um, he was raking leaves in the prison yard and uh, piling them into large trash bins and then dumping them in a large truck. And he noticed nobody's watching me. And so he saw his opportunity and he just dove into the pile of leaves in the back of the truck and they drove him through the gates um, out, out, out uh, to freedom. <clears throat> One of his escapes I thought was fascinating. Somebody left a bulldozer in uh, the common area of, of the yard, prison yard, and he jumped on the back. I've never driven a bulldozer before, but just jumped on the back of the bulldozer and just drove right through the wall. <clears throat> uh, his last escape attempt that I'm aware of was 2014 when um, he was uh, in this prison. I think I've got a picture of it here. Uh, yeah, he was in this prison here. Um, uh, I don't believe you can see it, but one particular area of the, of the tower where he went old school and sawed off the bars to his cell and used a rope ladder and climbed free. But this particular escape I thought was one of the most interesting. Um, Mr. Mr. Larson has called himself, he's named himself the Escape King. He claims that no prison can hold him. I mean, 22 times. He's got a good argument for that. But um, he calls himself the escape king. And he has this, he's developed this amazing ability to identify 
and to exploit flaws in his incarceration. He just, he's, he's always looking, he's always watching when he sees opportunities. Um, he, along with other prisoners, say that, that prisoners can often spot opportunities, but they lack the, the self-awareness in that moment to act on it. And so they describe a go-for-it moment, this moment when you see an opportunity and you've got to go for it. That, that there is a breach in the wall, an opportunity to escape. And Mr. Larson, he says, I'm the, I'm the master at recognizing those moments when they arrive, and I will always take advantage of it. I want to stop right here and tell somebody, it doesn't matter how long you've been bound by fear, by, by sin, by addiction, you need to recognize there is a breach in the wall this morning. Every time an altar call is given, this is your moment. And you can sit back and watch. Somebody needs to reach out and shake somebody and say, this is your go for it moment. Right now, you need to break free from what's been binding you for so long. And Mr. Larson has this keen awareness of during his captivity. And, and, but, you know, unfortunately... Um, but, he seems to have developed this amazing skill, an, an ex, uh, just sort of an expert level of, of a fundamental understanding uh, of, of how to escape from prison. But he's never developed an even more important ability that matters more than escaping. And that is, he's never learned how to avoid being recaptured. It's usually only a day or two before they catch him again. The last time that he escaped in 2014, the prison uh, um, police or the guards did not even pursue him. They said, we know where he'll go. He's going to go back to the same crowd that he's always been involved in, back to the same drug uh, den, back to the same house where he's always been, with the same friends that he's always been. So just wait a day or two, and then just stop by the house and go ahead and arrest him. And that's what they did. They showed up. There was Mr. Larson. I want to tell somebody today that the enemy knows how to keep us bound because he allows things to sit just sort of resonate in our spirit. Old, old faults and old failures. And, 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 uh, and, and they just sort of sit there like, like Paul was trying to describe. And it's, it's these areas of weakness in our life where the enemy at his will will exploit them. And he comes and finds us. And uh, I thank God that we are in a church, and what the uh, I'm thankful for what the church represents. It's a place of liberty, a place of deliverance, a place of freedom. We're, we're disciples of a Savior who, who said that I've, I've come to, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, recovering of sight to the blind. I've come to set at liberty them that are, are bruised uh, in, in uh, Luke chapter 4. And, and all of us have that mission of, of getting people delivered from whatever it is that's holding them in bondage. The church is commissioned to continue the mission of Jesus Christ, to fulfill the purpose. And so we preach healing. We preach deliverance. And we help those living in darkness and uh, those in deception regain their vision. And, uh, but but, but I, I want to present this idea today. 
that there are some things that we desire for our future, some things that we dream of and doing for the Lord that are absolutely unattainable unless we first let go of some things of our past. We we may have moments of deliverance at the altar. We might have moments where we feel the joy and, 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 and the freedom that God can give. But if we're not careful, we'll drift right back to the same faults and the same failures that have plagued us year after year after year. There's an old uh, American proverb that says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. But one of the most destructive and dangerous relationships that I believe we can have is is an unhealthy relationship with our past. Amen. God has designed for us to learn how to look forward and not back. Amen. The past can hold us bondage. Just like Mr. Larson, you, you, you can have these moments where you break free, but if you're not careful, you'll drift right back to what you've always done. And uh, God has never intended us to receive or, or to, to obtain our freedom only to go back to, to issues or problems in our past. Uh, there's a, uh, you know, it's a pretty established fact that God... God wants us to look forward more than he wants us to look back. Your head will only swivel so far to the right or the left. You know, your, your windshield is much larger than your rearview mirror. God intended for humanity's focus to always be forward. And the truth is, though, that these deep wounds and unseen struggles of our past can build a prison of torment that can feel impossible to escape. Now, we can, we can have moments of freedom, but, but ultimately, it's difficult to maintain our freedom. These, mom, these, these moments or these memories sit in our past like guard posts, waiting for our moments of hope, a moment of anxious faith when we see a bit of sunshine, and then our past screams out the loudest. You can't break free. I know you, you had a good breakthrough at church today, but... but you're coming back. You're going right back into what you've always done. I was praying last night and about the service today, and I don't know why I felt so impressed to preach this message, Pastor, but I, I feel strongly that there would be somebody here today that, that is, has, has wrestled with the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, you believe in God's power for the Holy Ghost for everybody else, but can God, can, can, can his spirit, ultimately keep you delivered? Can it keep you out of the bondage of temptation? Maybe you're wrestling with things that no one else in your family is aware of, but you're struggling today, and you brought that bondage, and it's resonating in the back of your mind somewhere. I want to tell you that liberty is is a promise from the Lord. The devil is a liar. Amen. I want to say it again. The devil is a liar. And you cannot break those addictions and and overcome the fear and get beyond your hurt until you make a decision. I'm not going back into my past. I'm going to cut the cord. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going forward from here on. Amen. But like Mr. Larson in our store, many of us have learned where to run when we're in trouble, and that's good. But we, we've, we've learned how to call out to the Lord in our trouble. And he'll deliver us out of all of our distresses. But we don't know exactly how to exist outside of prison. We come to the Lord with a lot of expect, expectations. And I'm, I'm thankful that God doesn't disappoint us. 
But if, if there's people here today that need deliverance in their life, you're going to get it. Amen. I believe you're going to get it. But if there's somebody here that's been delivered multiple times, Telling you, it's not the will of God that you continue to wrestle with this stuff for the rest of your life. You, you need to learn how to let some stuff go. I'm going to say it again emphatically. You better learn how to let that, some stuff go. It will destroy your future. It will destroy your family. It will destroy everything that you hold and, and, and value. Amen. You know, there are, there are times that we need a miracle and we're desperate. Like the, the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5, she pressed her way through the crowd to touch the hem of, of his garment. Now, she thought, surely he'll expect something of me because everybody else did, but she had nothing to offer. So she decides, I'm going in behind him and I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. I'll receive my healing. But then she does something interesting. After she feels virtue heal her, she turns and tries to go back into the same crowd that she came out of. And Jesus stops everything and says, no, 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 that, that's, not, that's not why we're doing this. That's not why I healed you. I didn't heal you so you could go right back where you came from. I healed you so we could have a relationship. There's a lot of people that have come to church today and maybe you came just to steal a miracle and go back to the same mess you came out of. But the Lord wants to know you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to live with you. Amen. He called her daughter. It's a powerful message of the importance, the high priority that the Lord places on relationship. You know, <clears throat> Paul told the church at Rome, don't you know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So it's, it's the goodness of God, the blessings of God that ought to cause us to lay down all of our past. So why is it that when we begin to pursue a new direction, a new blessing, a new life, that so many of us struggle releasing the past? You know, I, I think Paul wrote in, in uh, uh, Romans 8 where he, he talked about this struggle, this internal war that goes on. He said, that, I found that there's a law at work here. He said that every time I would do good, evil is present with me. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that, you know, you hadn't seen evil in years? And the second you start taking a step in the right direction, maybe you say, Pastor, I'm ready to get involved in new ministry. I'm ready to, I'm ready to start serving. You, the second you take a step in the right direction, evil is ringing your doorbell. It's fascinating. It's, it's just the nature of our enemy that he longs to hold on to you. And, and like Paul wrote to the church, he said that if you're not careful, or wrote to Timothy, he said if you're not careful, there will be people who the enemy will take you captive at his will. Yeah. He, he's he's going to decide, you know what, I need to go and just remind them that they haven't got over their past yet. So many individuals have allowed their past to define or prescribe their future. The stories of patriarchs in Scripture are not so different. In, in our text, Scripture says that Gilead, he was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. Now, this particular text is not referencing a man that's commonly referred to in Scripture. Jephthah was, the, was considered a judge. He served for six years. But he, um, he was the son of a distinguished man named Gilead. And, um, but he was also the son of a strange woman or a prostitute. In a moment of weakness, Gilead stepped outside of the sanctity of his marriage. And... Um, 
Jephthah was the result of his sin. It's, it's fascinating how that the sin of one generation can so easily plague the next. It wasn't Jephthah's fault. It wasn't his issue. It was his father's issue. And, but because his father committed a sin, it was somehow, the weight of it was somehow passed down to him. And he has a life filled with issues that he's forced to confront. His own brothers uh, and the community drove him away and they said, it's because you are the son of another woman. You have no business in this house. And they rejected him because of something that wasn't his fault. Jephthah is a disturbing reminder of, of the weakness of their father. We, every time we look at you, we remember what dad did. We remember the failure of our father. And, uh, uh, and they hated him, not because of who he was, but because of what he reminded them of. Now, that's, it. that's very important because sometimes people hate you not because of who you are, but seeing you reminds them of, of, of something painful in their past. Seeing you represents something that they don't want to remember. Somebody that's been troubled by the abuse or the rejection of a family member who's not serving God. You need to take comfort in that, that they're not rejecting you. It's, it's the holiness. It's the power of God that rests upon you that's bringing them to this place of conviction. And they, they, they may fight against you, but it's really not you they're fighting against. They're, they're battling issues in their own past. Every time I see you, I remember what I lost and what I gave up. And they drove him away because they were also afraid that he, he might be a poor representation of their father's name and maybe he might revert to the nature of, of, his, of his mother. And, you know, we, we can't afford to, uh, to have you around. We've got an image to uphold. And, and um you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself this morning, but let me just stop and say God has a way of using people that nobody thought would succeed. Amen. Maybe your friends and family look down on you, but, but God has a way of bringing people out of obscurity, out of the worst of conditions, and elevating you in his kingdom. Never allow your past to define your future. But Jephthah, Jephthah was different. He, and it frightened his brothers to the point that they drove him away. And perhaps they, they might have believed that, that he might repeat the same offenses that their father had committed. But um, there, were times, there are times that people will judge you. And um, they'll create problems in your relationship, not because of anything you've done. But the, the scales will be weighted against you because of the action of somebody else. Everything that motivated his brothers to drive him away was not his fault. Amen. It wasn't his fault. Tell somebody beside you it's not your fault. I know this is maybe a little different this morning, but I just feel that God is trying to send a message to somebody who has allowed their checkered past, maybe some memories that you don't testify about. You know, we don't give all of our testimony, do we? We share some things that are safe to share, but there's other parts of our testimony that we... We kind of keep to ourselves. Too often we go through life wrestling with the unfair treatment by somebody we trusted. And, and if we're not careful, we can justify the carnal behavior of our own lives based on what somebody else did. You think I'm bad. You need to understand what they did to me. They hurt me. They betrayed me. I can't trust people. 
But what happened to you may not have been your fault, but how you're treating others around you is your responsibility. Well, I felt the Holy Ghost when I said that. I'm going to say it again. You may have been taken advantage of. People may have abused you, but that's in your past. What you do today is not justified by what other people did to you in your yesterday. Just because somebody hurt you doesn't give you the right or the justification to hurt everybody else around you. Remember the story of Job. He loses his finances. He loses his family. He becomes sick. And for most of the book of Job, he's trying to figure out, what have I done wrong? But it wasn't his fault. God was the one that was presenting him for consideration by the devil. It was God that, that, that moved the heads from around his life. Sometimes the question isn't, what have you done wrong? But how is God going to get the glory in, in the middle of all of this mess? How is God going to be glorified by the trouble that I'm facing today? The purpose of God's presentation of Job was to reveal how one should act when faced with, with a situation that, that seems difficult or unfair. Just because it wasn't your fault does not give you permission to act however you want to act. Job, you don't have the right to curse God. You don't have the right to sin just because you're going through a trial. Job recognized that fact that, that even though I don't understand him, I've looked to my left, to my right, up and down. I can't find God. I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that he's alive somewhere. I know God's going to work this out. In the end, it was Job's reaction, the very thing that will... That, that will cause you to, to be blessed tw with twice as much as what you had before that you entered into that trial. You may get angry because of what you're losing in the midst of your catastrophe, but you'll not lose anything that God can't replace twofold. Amen. In John 9, Jesus sees a man that's been blind since his birth. And the disciples asked the question, they said, Lord, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? Jesus said, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. You have missed the purpose of the problem. This is really not about your sin or your failures, but I'm trying to transform you from a nameless character in your generation into a person of influence. I'm trying to exalt you. I'm trying to position you. And, and sometimes the trouble that we go through that seems unfair and it just, you, we question, God, why would you allow this to happen? If you could see from God's perspective, you would understand that the thing you think is against you, like Joseph told his brothers, you, you, you thought it for evil, but God meant it. He meant it for my good. This is not against you. God can use that trouble in order to lift you up, to exalt you. You missed the problem. You missed the purpose of your problem. We have to understand that pain is, is part of the process that helps us reach our promised future. But before God does a work through us, he has to do a work in us. And when God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son, I'm certain it created a, a tremendous amount of anguish in his life. But as he is he's climbing a difficult mountain to do something he doesn't really want to do, it's, it's a process Abraham submitted to the process, and because of it, he reveals that he is Jehovah Jireh. 
It's not something new for God. It's something he always was. But it's, you're never going to understand God to be who he is until you face some tests and trials in your life. I know it's, we're just sort of having a Bible study this morning, but just stay with me for just a minute. Amen. It was a life-changing destiny, an altering experience, but he would have never experienced any of it. He would have never seen God for who he really is had he not submitted to the process of trouble. One of the most important things that we have to consider in Christianity that God, is that God has called us to walk by faith and not by sight. If you understood why you're facing everything, that would not be a life of faith. It takes faith to go through things that you don't understand. Walking by faith means that my behavior doesn't change even when I don't understand what I'm going through. That I'm going to keep serving God. I'm going to keep living for God even though I don't know why I'm going through the trouble I'm going through. I'm, I'm going to keep holding on. When, I, when I, I don't have answers, Pastor, and I don't know why God is allowing this in my life, I've got to be faithful. That means I worship God whether I feel it or I don't feel it. That means I praise God. When I come to church, my worship should never be monitored. It should never, it should never be, be muted by my experiences of the day. Yeah, I've had a bad day, but God has always been good to me. And it could be my praise tonight that would turn my situation around. Whatever I don't understand, the, the, the purpose of the pain, or, or when I don't understand the reason for the trial, I'll not allow what I'm going through to affect my faithfulness to the house of God. Now, this is contrary to the conventional wisdom in our culture. We're all given passes for our aber behavior. People say, well, well you just got to excuse him because, well, let me tell you the back story. Let me tell you what he's faced and what he's gone through. We love making excuses for why we do the bad stuff we do. We're swimming in a sea of excuses. We're trying to find reasons that, that, that we don't have to live in, righteous, in, in, in righteousness and in, in faith. You don't know who I am. You don't know how I am. And, you know, I, I love studying psychology and all the personality types. We talk about it. We talked about it this weekend. But, but, but your personality and your past, or, nor what you're going through, is a golden ticket to sin. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how she treated you. It doesn't give you permission to sin. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happened on your job. It doesn't give you the right to lie. Amen. Repentance is the solution and then trusting God. Jephthah was a mighty warrior. Several translations say he was a man of valor. But if you read the previous chapters of Judges, you'll see that Jephthah was never in a battle. How could he be a man of valor if he had never fought a battle? Now, some may say that God was calling him by his potential. But the word valor in the Hebrew is the word shayil, and it means, means a force or a man of might and proven ability. So, but the only battles that Jephthah has ever fought were the battles he had with himself. Growing up in a home where he was not wanted. Growing up in a house where he was rejected where he was always looked at as the outcast. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not a legitimate son. I've got, I have less, I am less than others. He had fought against these echoes, these voices all of his life, feeling like I, I just, I'm not worthy. His strength 
was the result of discipline in spite of his limitations. I, I may be fighting battles. I may not be fighting battles with others, but I'm fighting battles within myself. And, and you'll, you'll, not, you'll not be ready for what God's called you to do unless you can first conquer yourself. Amen. And, uh, but, but, I mean, consider, when, when Mary and Joseph came into Bethlehem, there was confusion and chaos. There was no room for them in the end. And Jesus was born into this, into this environment of chaos, born in a dirty stable and a feeding trough. He was born in the middle of a mess to reveal that it doesn't matter what you're born into. It doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter the environment that you find yourself in. Location will never restrict your potential. You can do great things. You can turn the world upside down. It doesn't matter where you come from. Amen. And I want to speak a word of faith to somebody here today. The enemy's telling you, you're not as good as other people in the church. They've got all the skill and the ability, the talent, but that that's a lie of the enemy. God wants to work through you. He wants to do great things through you. So just as they ask about Jesus, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of your trouble? Oh, yeah, it can. Amen. The unequivocal answer is yes. If it involves Jesus, something good can come out of it. And, and uh, you know, Jephthah was exiled by his own brothers. He's exiled to a place called Tob. And Tob was much like um, Alcatraz. It was filled with outlaws and outcasts. But, um, but Jephthah was to be the next judge, of, uh, judge in Israel, but he could not fully embrace his calling and his purpose because for most of his life, his identity was defined by the approval of his brother. People had rejected him. And so what God does is he separates him from his brothers so that he could focus on something different and discover his real identity. And sometimes we fail to recognize that the greatest thing that God has done for us at times is to take some people out of our lives. We've got to be careful that we don't start chasing people that God removed. I'm going to just talk to you, Pastor. I don't know if it's like this here, but there are times as, as a pastor that I'm troubled by seeing relationships of folks that have walked away from truth. And it's, it's, it's not for the purpose of evangelizing. They may call it that, but it's friendships and close connections. And ultimately, it's not them influencing the others to come back to church. It's those influencing people to walk away from truth. you got to be careful when God begins to remove things and people out of your life that you don't start chasing them down. When God says leave somebody alone, you better leave them alone. If pastor says it might be best if you kind of create some distance between yourself and those, leave them alone. You're not helping them? <laughs> oh, I just, I'm going to reach them, pastor. Listen, pray for them. But put them in the hands of the Lord and let God bring them back. God told Abram, he said, I want you to leave your kindred, your family. Leave them all behind. But he, he felt a responsibility for Lot, his, 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 his nephew. He said, you know, his father's dead and I'm his caretaker. I need, to, I need to take care of this boy. And if I walk away from him, who else is going to help him? I need to help him. And so he disobeys God and carries him with him on this journey. When God said, leave him alone, 
fast forward through the story. I want to ask you a question. Exactly how did Abraham help Lot? When, when, when the, the story of Lot finally ends, Lot has had, there, there's been all kinds of tension between him and Abraham. He's lost his kids in Sodom. He's lost his wife. His wife's turned to a pillar of salt. His remaining two daughters are so perverted that there, there's just, uh, there, there's incest involved. It's, it's terrible. How did you save Lot, Abraham? When God says leave somebody alone, leave them alone. You're not going to save them. I'm sorry. I, I need to get back to preaching. That was the pastor side of me. Sorry about that. I, I need to get back to my message. Amen. Amen. And, and you know, and Jephthah was victorious. He was used by God. He was blessed by God. He was, he was respected in time. And... Um, he should have recognized, and I'm, I'm coming to a close. He should have recognized when the leaders came to him and, and, uh, and they said, listen, um, you know, you, you've been blessed here in Tob, and, and, and all of the others in, in the city have, have looked to Jephthah as a leader. He should have recognized that this is what I've been called to do. This is my moment of restoration. This is, the, this is God turning things around. For me. And yet when the men of, of Gibeah, they come to him and they they convince him to be their leader. They talk to him about being their leader. Instead of it it making him happy and, and being a person of faith, he responds in anger. And he says, Wait a second, aren't you one of the ones that kicked me out of my father's house? It's that flash of yesterday, that pain that he should have let go. God was trying to do something special in this moment, but he's refusing to be a leader because he's so caught up in the hurts of what happened years ago. Bitterness. Can't let go of it. This is my, this is my chance. I'm gonna, I, I, you want me as leader? Who do you think you are? Now you want to come and find me when you're in trouble and I've got all these people following me in this city. Now you want to come and knock on my door. That anger, that bitterness that he's never let go of. He's still held prisoner. <laughs> After all the blessings of God, you'd think you'd be over it by now. But I know a lot of church folks that have been holding on to bitterness from their past that you need to learn how to lay it at an altar. It is critical that you don't hold on to that stuff. And some of you are saying, but they hurt me and it wasn't fair. Pastor, you don't understand what they did to me. And they talked about me. They, they hurt my family and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on to this for the rest of my life. And God is saying, I can't lead you into the future. I can't bless you. I can't use you like I want to use you until you lay that stuff down. We have moments where we're blessed and God begins to pick us up. But if we're not careful, we will hold on to some of that bondage of our past. And that's why it's so tragic that whenever Jephthah finally accepts this, this responsibility to lead Israel to victory and, and deliver, that he still is wrestling with these demons and this guilt of the past, this, these spirits of feeling unworthy. I'm not, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. And so before he goes out to battle, you would think, 
He, you would think that, that he would be so inspired. I rep, I'm going to represent the kingdom of God. I'm going to represent the army of God. God has promised victory. God has, 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 has guaranteed that we're going to win this battle. But he, he goes to God instead and starts making deals with him. Hey, God, I know you're not going to give us victory just because of me. I'm not worthy to lead these people. I'm not worthy to do anything. So, Lord... I'll make a deal with you. If you'll just give us the victory, please, God, just give us the victory, then, then whatever it is that comes out of my house, the first thing that comes out, I'll sacrifice to you. Making deals with God because he, he could not get over his past. I'm preaching to somebody here today that that's the reason you're not in ministry today. That's the reason why you're not serving is because you can't get over the idea that God would use somebody with such a difficult history and a difficult past. That is, that is the enemy trying to hold on to you and keep you locked up. you got to let it go. you got to decide today that I refuse to be held by the opinions of others. He's making a deal with God. God, if you'll give me. And then, of course, the tragic ending of the story. Musicians, please come. The tragic ending of the story when he returns victorious from battle. The first thing to meet him running out of the house is his beautiful daughter. And he's horrified at that moment, realizing what, what this deal with God has cost him. Now, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. Of course, there's a lot of... Of, of conflicting ideas and concepts about what actually happened to her. I, I, from what I, I can understand is this, this girl was isolated by herself for the rest of her life. She didn't actually have to die, but her future was sacrificed. She, she had no family. The Bible says that she bewailed her virginity. She, just, she, she knew, I'm never going to have kids. I'm going to have to live in isolation for the rest of my life. Why are you having to do it? Because daddy didn't believe that God would use somebody like him. Why did daddy do that? Because his dad had a moment of weakness. And so this is what the Lord spoke to me in prayer. And I realize this is different today. And we're not shouting and running. But I just feel so strong in the Holy Ghost to tell somebody to warn you. That if you don't get it together. And you don't get it to the altar. Your kids are going to pay the price. better bring it to the altar. These altars are open if you're here today and you know that there's something in your past that's been plaguing you that you haven't brought to this altar. Nobody can do it for you. As we stand together, I, I, wanna, I just want to invite you in this moment, this sacred holy moment, this is your chance. Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, whoever you may be, you gotta, you got to put that past on the altar. Yes, they hurt you. Yes, it wasn't fair. I know it wasn't right. But you got to bring it to the altar and lay it down at his feet and say, God, I need deliverance today. You need to forgive. Somebody here today has been holding a grudge far too long. You've allowed the words to echo in your mind from your childhood. You're an adult now. And you're still letting those voices.
God. If you're a guest here today, this is the perfect place for you to come. God can fill you with His Spirit, whoever you are. Come on, God's speaking to you. Leave it. sake of your future, for the sake of your children. Come on, don't pass that dysfunction down to them.